welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. We're a podcast that's dedicated to equipping and encouraging parents, children's workers, even pastors to disciple the, the children that God has put under their spiritual care and influence. And we want to further the conversation about how what we believe, that's our theology, how it affects how we parent, how we minister, and how we live. As always, I'm joined by... Anthony Tressoni, the family pastor at Westminster Baptist Church in Westminster, Maryland. All right, Tony, good to be back with you. I'm Ben Palaz, the family and children's discipleship pastor at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, where it seems like it's spring. Um, how's it up there where you are? It's pretty warm. Uh, not as warm as last week. It's in, I think, the 50s. Last week we hit 80 at one point. Uh, yeah, it's really? pretty crazy. So, and uh, but yeah, it's been it's been nice enjoying the spring weather and uh, without my gla- thick glasses now I'm able to really more enjoy it. So, uh, you know that logo is inaccurate now. I'm no longer I'm a little bit less of a hipster. I'll have to do something to make up for it. Maybe have a ridiculous beard or something like that. But I had LASIK <laughs> eye surgery if you didn't know. Yes, yes, I remember seeing your your post on Facebook about that. So, yeah, you'll have to come up with a. Uh, I don't know, some kind of cool mustache or, I don't know, do one of those crazy haircuts. But, you know, are you drinking your French press coffee, your pour-over right now? Yeah, of course I'm doing that. You know that I can't skip out on my French press coffee. <laughs> you know, I actually got a pour-over thing for, for Christmas. I've enjoyed that. It's good. Yeah, I also do, when I'm at work, I uh, do a, um, what is it called? An AeroPress. So I've got another uh, outrageous kind of out there. Uh, form of it as well on my AeroPress. <laughs> Very good. Well, so I see baseball season is uh, regular season hasn't started yet. Spring training has. So how are the Orioles going to look this year? Not good. Not good. <laughs> yeah, I think they uh, they could use some pitching. Uh, at, at this point, you know, their uh, pitching is about the quality of every other every position that the Cleveland Browns have in the NFL. So. <laughs> Which isn't a high bar, to say the least. No, no. And, you know, they're going to have to face the Yankees with King Kong and Godzilla in the same lineup. Um, so that's, yeah, that's not going to help. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, it will be pretty terrifying. The, I, that, I'm pretty sure they're going to bring in the Incredible Hulk pretty soon, too. So. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't count them out. No, I certainly will not. Uh, well, now let's let's get into our topic today. Um, we're going to talk today about the Trinity. I mean, the God that that we talk about, that we uh, who spoken and revealed Himself in Scripture. He's complex. He's different than us. He's diverse, yet He's unified. He's not like anybody else. And frankly, it, it can be hard to understand. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to get past that. But many have tried to explain it in understandable terms to adults and children, and, and sometimes those efforts have been better than others. And so with that, let's let's dig in. It's, it's deep, and I don't think we're going to have any magic silver bullets um, that help everybody just explain and understand everything. But hopefully just some guide rails is in our own ministries and as those that are listening, um, as they're thinking about teaching kids about the Trinity, and not just teaching, but leading them to worship this triune God. So, Tony, was it hard for you to come to terms with the Trinity? Definitely. You know, I think it's still hard for me to come to terms with the Trinity. It's the most <laughs> complex doctrines of God that is out there. I mean, I might not even say one of the most. I might say the most. Uh, it's certainly, prior to Christ, I, I, I thought the idea of the Trinity was kind of silly, too. Yeah, I don't really remember you know, ever denying it or something like that. I, I, but yeah, I, I don't think I, I still fully grasp it. I don't 
I haven't met anyone who does, and I think that's appropriate. I mean, God, he is different than us. Um, but before we get too far into it, let's define our terms. I mean, who or, or what is the Trinity? Yeah, so I define Trinity in a very simple way, because I think the less simple you get, the more uh, dangerous you get in regards to the Trinity. So I, I think in a very basic sense, the Trinity is the three in one. It's the reality that God exists in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but that also there is only one true God. Uh, it's, you know, an affirmation, I think, of uh, several different things at the same time, that there is one God, uh, as both Christians and uh, Jews believe, and Muslims believe that as well, uh, and also, but as well an affirmation that Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and the Father are God. But Jesus is not the Father, the Spirit is not the Father, the Spirit is not the Son, and uh, so on and so forth. Hmm. Yeah, I like what you said, that the the less simple we get, the, the more trouble we might get into. And uh, church councils and uh, theologians over the ages have tried to carefully define, and, and you know, they had to, um, they had to for various reasons to fend off heresy. But we can, in our attempts to explain or um, oversimplify, we can also run into trouble. Um, but it's just, you know, we've got to recognize that God is three in one, and if we're not doing that, then we're not properly worshiping Him, right? Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think we have to understand that. Apart uh, and apart from that, I don't think we can truly be His people. Well, if the term Trinity uh, it doesn't appear in the Bible, so there's no you know I, I don't know of any translation that would you know put it there, but it's, it's not there in the original languages. Um, if that's the case, should we even teach it to kids, or is that letting theology? overshadow the actual verses and the, the text of the Bible? Uh, well, I think the word Trinity obviously doesn't appear in the Bible. Uh, you know, a lot of terminology that we use doesn't appear directly as the way that our terminology uses in the Bible. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the Trinity is not in the Bible. The Trinity is absolutely in the Bible. Uh, and the, every fact that I explained earlier that we gave, you know, that the Father is not the Son, that uh, the Son is God and, and God-man, as all of that is so clearly, succinctly in the Bible, uh, in independent different verses. I don't think that there's one specific verse that outlines the whole reality of the Trinity, but the Bible wasn't written uh, that, in a way that we we're supposed to derive all of our theology from one diverse, uh, independent from the others. Uh, you know, instead, you know, the Bible is to be taken as a whole, not as a, just kind of a proof text uh, source. And I think when we see the systematic nature of it, and we and we understand systematic theology we've talked about before, uh, we can show how the importance of, uh, of that kind of thinking impacts it in relationship to the Trinity. You know, it, uh, I, I think this is why, because this is so clearly revealed over all of Scripture, but not one verse is given. That's why we need systematic theology. That's why we need catechism, like we talked about recently. And the nature of Godhead is deep. You know, you ask, is it too deep? It is deep, absolutely. But uh, nothing is more important than this, than who God is. He made us, you know. He is the, the everlasting being, you know, the everlasting one. Uh, so there's nothing more important to help our children understand, even if it is deep, than the Holy Trinity. 
Yeah, that's that's helpful. Um, I mean, Jesus himself said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. Well, in order to love him, you need to, to know him. Uh, and, he, and he has spoken and revealed himself very clearly as a triune God. And, you know, in talking about the theological stuff, you know, we come to conclusions and make theological conclusions as we make connections across Scripture. And and whether that's, you know, you're, you're dispensationalist or you hold the covenant theology or whatever else, uh, but it's also just things that you think are important as you read across the whole Bible. Um, like, so for instance, baptism of the dead in 1 Corinthians 15, it shouldn't rise to that level of importance, but like you said, that there's not one verse that explains all the Trinity, but the Bible is not a, a theological dictionary or a theological encyclopedia where you just, you know, turn to the right article, but all across you see a Father, Son, and Spirit sharing in what it means to be God and in the identity of God. And so there's just too many references and themes to ignore it. And so uh, it is important. Again, it's it's, it's related to worship. Um but so I mean, you, you you made this comment just a minute ago. You can't be his people if you're not worshiping the true God. Um, but you can worship the one true God and be wrong about your view of the covenants or um, who should be baptized or how they were elected or, or whatever it is. Um, so it, it's it is a really important matter. Absolutely. Um, so what are some analogies that you've heard to explain the Trinity? Because you you've got this really complex thing that people are wrestling with and trying to define very carefully over the history of the church, and so then people trying to explain it and make it accessible to people. Um, what what kind of analogies have you heard, and um, have you heard any really good ones that don't teach some kind of heresy? Yeah, I've heard a variety of uh, analogies in that vein. Uh, I think one of the most common ones that I've heard is presenting it uh, as water. Uh, the you know water exists in uh, three and three different forms, uh, three modes, if you will. If you'll get what I'm going at in a minute, uh, you know water can exist as va- uh, water vapor, can exist as uh, ice, or can exist in a liquid form. The pr- and that's I think a really really common one that I've heard. But the problem with that is it's effectively heretical because of the fact that it teaches water ex- changes form. It's still one thing of water. You know it's the one person of water, if one could say, and it ceases to be uh, uh, that liquid when it becomes ice. So I think that's kind of dangerous. Uh, the clover, uh, one I articulated that uh, got it's like a three-leaf clover. It's probably I think falsely attributed in that to uh, pa- Patrick, uh, Saint Patrick, uh, and that you know that Scott's like you know uh, clover is one thing and it has three parts, uh, you know three leaves on the clover, which that's uh, heresy. That's com- it's called uh, in a very simple way, partialism. Uh, so again, we've got heresy. <laughs> Not doing well for ourselves, are we? <laughs> and uh, then the another one I've heard is the sun. And the sun, um, and uh, describing how God is like the sun, and the sun, you know, it produces light. There's the, the sun itself, and there's the heat from it, uh, which is just kind of another version of Arianism. Uh, the, <laughs> you know, uh, which is, yeah, I think brings up kind of the same point. Uh, the I think that all really I think all analogies at some point are going to be heretical. The reality of the Godhead does not compare to anything. But uh, at the same time, I think there is some benefits, and we'll talk in the next question 
uh, about analogy that I'd like to use. But I, I do think the the a man, I've heard it said, you know, a man is an employee, a father, and a son. I think that can be a really, it can be a helpful one. I mean, if you take it really strictly, it's clearly heresy. Like all of these are clearly heresy if you take them strictly. But I don't think that's what the impression people get from them. Yeah, I, that's, I wanted to get into that because I think that there is a role for those trying to help um, children in particular to understand those things. Uh, have you seen the Lutheran satire video where they I, talk to St. Patrick? Oh, Patrick. <laughs> yes, I have. I love those videos. <laughs> They're really funny. <laughs> They're um, YouTube. Look at Lutheran satire on YouTube and you'll have a delightful time. Yes, it, it's it's a good time. Um but the, yeah, and so we're not trying to say that if you've ever used one of those analogies um, that you're a heretic and your church should immediately burn you at the stake um, or that you're not a Christian. Um, but it's just things to think through because it is important. We're, we're talking about the identity of who God is. Um, the best one that I've heard is from Bruce Ware. He teaches theology at Southern Seminary, and he he described uh, three distinct circles. So he took three different um, markers, dry erase markers on the board. And so, you know, a red one, a blue one, and a green one, whatever it was. Now, but they're not, um, they're not just connected. There's three distinct where you can see the color, three, three distinct circles, but they're all on top of one another. Um, and now I'm sure if you thought about it long enough, you could probably find some error in there. Um, but that, that's the best one I've heard that in that, you know, each one is completely the circle, fully the circle, but yet there's distinction there. Um, so I don't know, you, you could try that out in your context and, and see, uh, what do you think of that? Yeah, I think there's a lot of benefit to that. I think, you know, there are always, I'm the try that there always has been this clear, uh, understanding of the Trinity and that imagery, you know, that imagery of, of the distinct circles, you know. The triquetra goes back, I mean, a thousand years or so. So, you know, I, I think that can be a helpful way, but it's not going to be as uh, as smooth and as salesman-y as the water imagery, uh, you know. So, But I, you can't do something that's simple just for the sake of simplicity. Right, and again, it, it's, a, it's an infinite God, and so yeah. I don't know that we're going to find the perfect kind of we, – we just have to stand in awe at the mystery of who he is. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so do you think we should even try to use analogies? I mean, because you, you've labeled everyone, you know, they, they're all heretics. So. <laughs> uh, well, not everyone who uses them are heretics, but uh, certainly if you take them very literally, yes. If you take any of the analogies literally, you're going to get into some dangerous heretical waters. But I think we can use it. Uh, the I think it's okay if we clearly acknowledge in their teaching that they're imperfect, you know. So if we, you know, I think there's a difference to saying that God is kind of like uh, a person, a man who's, you know, has these distinct roles, or God is kind of like a, a clover that has three leaves, uh, but to not say God is just like, you know, because obviously that's not the case, but I think at some point people understand that metaphors are metaphors, and uh, metaphors not meant to be taken literally, and if you do that kind of thing, uh, you're, you're going to be running into the same dangers that a lot of the first century, a lot of the second century Christians did when they interpreted things like the parables of Jesus. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, depending on where you are, you got to go a little bit further down in history, but you might get punched in the face by a bishop or something. It's just... You might, yes. <laughs> you might. Yeah, and um, that bishop might <clears throat> deliver uh, deliver Christmas presents down your chimney. 
<laughs> right. Uh, well, so how important, I mean, we talked about that understanding who God is um, for the purpose of worshiping him, knowing who he is, is really, really foundational. But how important is it to, to Christian teaching and believing and living? I mean, does it really matter that much? I think very much it does. Um, it matters uh, matters first of all because this is the most basic nature of our creator so you know i think if this is who our creator is we have to make it matter we have to see how this is significant because it is from, again from the one who created us uh but you know i think we're again we're not christians apart from a proper understanding of the trinity if we don't help our kids understand this they might worship the Father, they might worship Jesus, but they're worshiping idol versions of these, uh, of the Father and the Son, if they don't really understand that, you know. I mean, we we believe people like Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons are, uh, are idolaters. They might have, in some sense, an understanding that God is one, but uh, they've gone so far from the biblical understanding of God that I think that they worship an idol rather than, in any sense, the true God. Uh, the Trinity also, though, helps us live, uh, you know, and I think we see that we live, uh, that as Christians, we pursue growth, that we can live in trusting in God by the Father's amazing power. Uh, we can rely on the freedom from the Son, the freedom from sin and guilt from the Son, and, uh, and, we can, and we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, have the Holy Spirit within us that brings us to greater Christian growth. And that's, you know, the three different persons of the Trinity acting in their distinct roles to help us work and work together for the sake of us growing towards godliness, for the sake of our eternal good. And so we see that and how that plays into our Christian life because it's very relevant for Christian life. That's good. Yeah, I mean, the New Testament in particular, because that's where you see the full Trinitarian uh, expression of who God is. There's hints at it in the Old Testament, but they don't just—the writings of the New Testament don't just refer generically to God. I mean, there's—or uh, at least not always—there's there, distinction there, and so um, and it, it does matter in our life. Um, so does the Trinity have any bearing on our family or, or the structure of our family? Absolutely, I think so. Uh, so I think, though, we need to be really careful when we get into this kind of thing. I think we need to be careful not to head towards a subordinationalism uh, when uh, through this kind of thing. So I've, I've encountered some Christians that will allow a biblical understanding of headship and marriage, for example, to guide their understanding of Trinitarian relationship, especially the relationship between the Father and the Son. And so, you know, so the... Uh, kind of working backwards. Yeah, yeah. And so there's an idea that because we're complementarian, we kind of become complementarian with the Trinity in a really weird way. And... And uh, affirm eternal subordinationism, uh, which I think is is not helpful and dangerous. I think is apart from uh, historical Christian understanding of the Trinity. So we we have to be careful in that vein. But uh, I think one thing it does show is the beauty of relationship and God's design for our relationality. So the reality that that we are to be in relationship 
as people, just as God Himself, the Holy, uh, that the Holy Trinity exists in relationship and has existed in relationship for all of eternity past. Uh, and also, you know, that I think it tells us about God that, you know, God is not lonely. Uh, there's some popular Christian songs that talk about, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, that, that give the impression that God was kind of lonely. He didn't have anything to do, you know, was just kind of playing pool by himself before uh, he created, uh, created us. And so he created us to kind of solve his eternal cosmic loneliness. But uh, if we understand that God is triune, God obviously is not lonely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I heard D.A. Carson make the point that, you know, contrasting God of the Bible <clears throat> with Allah and saying, you know, Muslims claim that he's loving and merciful and these kind of things, but the God of the Bible loved before he created the world because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit loved one another perfectly. That's not the case with the God of Islam. Uh, and so, I mean, you just see that the eternal nature of God's love. Um I, getting into the roles, I think regardless of, of whether the Son eternally submits to the Father, you see it play out in creation, in, in the, the drama of redemption. The Father planned our salvation, the Son accomplished it, and then submitting to his Father willingly, and then the Spirit applies it to us. And that gets into what you were talking about a minute. You know, kind of in our Christian life, but um, it, when it comes to submission and authority, I mean, our culture, our kids are growing up in a world, and in, I mean, we grew up in a world where it's questioning authority. Um, any kind of authority is, is seen as a bad kind of thing, and but you know, the father planned this, and the son gladly said, "Yes, I, I, I will do this," and then the father and the son send the spirit, and so I mean, I think you can. Not that I would build my uh, build a church or a denomination on this um but some sense a connection between uh parents and and children now again i think that's a very loose connection i don't know that i would stand up and teach um you know this is the the reason your children should obey you um <clears throat> i don't know that that you correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think that ever says that the spirit obeys the father and the son just that he brings attention to Jesus and he, yeah. he proceeds from them. Yeah, I so. think the closest you're going to get to, I think the the whole that the Son sends the Holy Spirit. But you know that you know I I do think I mean there are many Christians, even uh, some that we've mentioned positively in other podcasts uh, or even today, that uh, would advocate an idea that that just as the a wife is a submit to her husband, that the that from eternity the Holy Spirit has submitted to the Father and and the Son, and the Christ is submitted to the Father. And I, I don't think that we need to derive that from the text, and I don't think that uh, is uh, in any sense the biblical doctrine of the Trinity. I think clearly during Jesus' earthly ministry, he submitted uh, in that kind of way to the Father, the will of the Father, but I don't think there's any kind of basis for this eternal submission. And uh, that, that has that stirred some waves within the last year uh, on the Internet. And so, yeah, I, I, you have to be tread carefully where Scripture maybe is vague at best, and um, I don't think we need to to get all off into that. Um, now, does the Trinity have an effect on the gospel? I mean, that, that's we've talked a lot about the gospel and how it affects so much everything in the Christian life. How does the Trinity bear on the good news? Absolutely. Uh, so the uh, the whole Trinity, I think, plays a vital role 
and soteriology, or the doctrine of salvation. So in the Trinity, we see that the uh, that you know the Father that we owe this great debt from our sin to the Father, and uh, the Father receives Jesus a sacrifice. Jesus, the Son, came and became the eternal sacrifice, the the great uh, the great Lamb of God that sacrificed in our place. The Father received that uh, sacrifice and wa- and and considers us clean and welcomes us into his eternal family and I think the Holy Spirit applies that salvation so the Holy Spirit is the one that uh, regenerates our hearts that makes us new that brings about new birth I think that's what scripture implies and so I, I think the whole gospel the gospel is such clearly a work of the Trinity the Trinity is magnified in the reality of the gospel and I think if you don't understand that the beauty of the role of the entire Trinity in the gospel I'm not sure you fully grasp the whole gospel gospel. Mm. Yeah, and so that doesn't mean that you can't be saved if, if you don't have a complex no. understanding of that. But like Ephesians 1, for example, it um, it highlights the role of Father, Son, and Spirit um, all the way through in, in God's plan to save us. And again, not that it makes someone um, that they're going to hell, that they can't articulate that clearly and powerfully. But Scripture does tell, I mean, it, it says, you know, the Father didn't die. And I've I've even done it myself, mixing up my words in prayer, and then realize, what did I just say? But I've heard other people, you know, Father, thank you that you died for our sin. And like, Well, no, he, he was clear he didn't do that. Um, he sent the Son to do that, and, and the Father doesn't indwell us. Uh, it's the Spirit that does that, that connects us to Christ and mediates his presence to us and get, you know, uh, joins us to him. Uh, but God went to great lengths to do these things and to have them written down for us and to interpret their meaning for us. And so uh, if we want to worship him, I mean, it's, it's an, again, it comes back to an occasion to worship God for what he's done. Um, now, if you slipped yeah. up in that way, Ben, I need to make sure that next time I see you to uh, find a stake to burn you on. <laughs> right. Um, <clears throat> make sure that there's there's no flammable things around um, exactly so you know i i'll just have to check to make sure that you weigh the same as a duck because that will prove to me that uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well and, and now this uh this is going to require some editing but i wanted to add something back to the question before about submission um but re- related to submission and and the culture that we're in where authority is questioned uh the son He's of the same essence and of the same um, everything as the Father. He's everything that it means to be God, yet he willingly submits himself to the Father. Uh, So it doesn't at all undermine his deity. It doesn't undermine his worth and value. And so for a wife to submit to her husband or for children to to submit and obey their parents, um, submission doesn't, doesn't imply some sort of inferiority. Um, and so I think that that's clearly seen between the relationship of the father and the son. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, um, well, Tony, how can parents and teachers at church instruct kids about this, this triune God in a way that's both biblically faithful and that provokes worship and obedience to him? 
I think uh, one area that they certainly can do that uh, is use curriculum at churches that embrace the whole Trinity and teach about the whole Trinity on a regular basis. So I think of uh, that, you know, we had an interview with Connie Dever of Praise Factory, and uh, she talked about that, you know, and the importance of that. And I've heard uh, Children Desiring God has written a lot about the importance of invoking the whole Trinity, not just Jesus. Uh, there's uh, there's some good curriculums that, that focus a great deal on Jesus in every lesson that might not as much focus on on the Father and the Holy Spirit. But to have a curriculum, I think, or at least incorporate in your teaching, uh, curriculums that do show Jesus and the Holy Spirit were in the Old Testament, for example, but that the great Trinity was at work from all of eternity past, and uh, and we praise each and every person of the Holy Trinity. Uh, you know, I think we teach Trinitarian systematic theology. So another, back to another recent uh, interview we did uh, that we talked about the North Star Catechism uh, with its creator Jared Kennedy and Jared Ken and uh, and that North Star Catechism it so clearly lines out what the Trinity is and asks are there more gods than one uh, you know and God exists forever as how many persons uh, questions that are important both that can be asked in the church as well as in the home to teach this in a clear way um, the um, I think likewise, you know, singing songs of the Trinity, both at home as well as uh, at church, that emphasize the cl clear reality of our Trinitarian God. You know, every, every night when we put our kids to bed, we sing with them the doxology, and, and I'm not sure that it's the most intentional thing. It's just kind of something that we do, uh, and we've done. I think we had more intentionality when we started with it, but I think there's a beauty in that. You know, the doxology, which affirms, uh, gives praise not just to the Father, not just the Son, but to the Holy Spirit as well, and recognizes all three persons of the Trinity in one worship praise song. That's good. Yeah, I like that connecting the, the church and home, and I think the, the repetition is so helpful. Um, I, only thing I'd add, just don't oversimplify things like we've got it in this neat box, um, and admit that there's mystery there. Show awe and wonder and reverence at this God, as you, you regularly mention um, each member of the Trinity, you know, across the, the weeks of your teaching. So what about our prayers? I mean, how do our prayers at home and at church teach and, and help shape our beliefs? Yeah, that's awesome. That's good. Uh, our prayers uh, definitely teach our understanding of the Trinity. And, and I think our understanding of the Trinity impacts our prayers even more so. So, you know, I think if we have a proper understanding of the Trinity, especially as it relates to prayer, we understand that reason why we pray in Jesus' name is not because it's just kind of tradition, but because we know that that Jesus uh, that Jesus uh, pleads or brings our prayers before the Father. He intercedes for us our prayers before the Father. You know, that's why we know our prayers will be heard, because Jesus brings them before the throne of the Father in heaven. And we also know that uh, uh, our prayers are effective because the Bible tells us uh, the Holy Spirit speaks through our prayers. You know, uh, I don't think that the uh, the uh, that the ununderstandable groans uh, that are I think in First Corinthians it is I believe right. So it's Romans eight I think. Romans eight, yeah, that's right. So the I, I don't think that that's implying that we uh, speak in, need to speak in tongues. Uh, there are different Christians that have different interpretations, but I think the point in that is that the Holy Spirit speaks through us even when we don't know what to say, and even when we do say something eloquent. 
eloquently. The Holy Spirit uh, divinely speaks through our prayers. And so we have, in effect, perfect prayers that go to a perfect Savior and who appeals, brings them to the perfect Father, which, you know, makes our prayers perfect, even if they're <laughs> being lousy to ourselves. But, you know... I think in that we give thanks for the Trinity and give thanks to who he is in our prayer and the reality of what he does through our prayer, we give thanks for as well. That's really good. Yeah, and I mean, that again, it connects it back to the gospel. Um, the, the reason that we can come with our prayers and come with boldness before the throne of grace, like Hebrews talks about, is because of Jesus. It's not just, you know, the, like love Ben. <laughs> Sincerely, um, you know, you're coming because of him and and so I think it's, it's important that we pray Trinitarian prayers. Um, we pray to the Father, and we pray in the name of the Son, again, with that understanding. Uh, and I think being clear over time with what that means to pray in Jesus' name, and then praying in the Spirit. And I, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what that means. Um, but there, there's a couple of references in the New Testament about praying in the Spirit. And again, there's there's differences of, of um, interpretation and understanding about what that means, whether it's... Yeah, I mean, we could get, you know, charismatic kind of stuff in there. But, and I think, again, the repetition, you're reinforcing over and over that God is Father, Son, and Spirit, and just, you know, acknowledging that. And the Bible makes a big deal about it. And so we should too. So, do you, are there any resources that you'd recommend to help in either direct instruction about the Trinity or that just help form a Trinitarian faith? Yeah, so I think there's been a lot out there in that vein. Um, I think it's resources that teach kids general theology, but that are especially going to help in that. Uh, so I think of uh, one CD, for example, that uh, I think is really helpful, and there's an accompanying book. Is I don't know if you have you ever listened to Sovereign Grace's theology, not theology, but theology, kind of broken up in a in a playful manner. No, I've seen it. I've listened to some samples, but yeah, they've got a great uh, song about the Trinity, and that you know, and I think it artfully but beautifully and accurately presents the Trinity in a way that a kid can follow along, uh, you know, and it's based upon a. Uh, kind of a systematic theology book for elementary age kids uh, called Theology by Marty Machowski. And, uh, it, uh, and I think that book likewise, it goes into the, the whole, all of systematic theology, but especially does highlight a lot of how we understand the Trinity. Uh, and then I, another one uh, for younger kids, especially preschoolers, uh, uh, the book Everything a Child Should Know About God does uh, a very similar thing in that measure. It will uh, communicate the Trinity in even a simpler way for uh, young children. Uh, but also, you know, I, I do remember a good chapter about talking to your kids about the Trinity and uh, Bruce Ware's Big Truths for Young Hearts. Uh, back talking about uh, Bruce Ware, I think a really excellent book about talking to your children about deep things like that. Well, very good. Um, hopefully, if, if you check those out, that will be helpful to you in your context. Well, Tony, that was a good conversation. We got into some deep waters, and uh, again, I don't think we solved any any age-old problem in the perfect way to explain who God is, but I think that it was fruitful. Um, and just the big takeaways that it is a matter of worship, and it is connected to God's salvation um, of us through the gospel, uh, through the message of what Christ has done. And so um, it, it is something, this is not some deep, you know, ivory tower kind of issue. This is practical, and uh, it's a matter of, of proper worship or idolatry. So, 
Um, if, if you've enjoyed the conversation today, um, please like it, share it, repost it, do do whatever it is you do on social media. Talk about it to others in your church, your pastor, or families that you know you think would benefit. Uh, you can reach out to us on the Twitter. Uh, Tony, you, where are you at? At Anthony Tresoni. Real simple. And I'm at Ben Palaz. Uh, we'd love to get some feedback from you. What's helpful, what's not helpful, um, questions or ideas for future episodes. So um, please please reach out. Send all the things that are unhelpful to Ben at Ben Palaz. <laughs> yeah, if you want to charge me of heresy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for listening.